0: lovely listeners episode 39 finally we're gonna get to 40 to the 40 something we're back after my brief hiatus and thank you for sticking with me and yes welcome back it's been an intense few weeks um as you probably are aware now i am a married man um and it was an absolutely beautiful day it all went pretty much to plan and absolutely a good time was had by everybody there was so much build-up and and then the days over so quickly Um, everybody was wonderful the grooms maids were beautiful the best man and best woman were perfect um, our caller was a complete star so thank you to all involved and parents and everybody and thank you also, listeners, for the well wishes. I've received a few well wishes, so um, much, much appreciate it. Um, the sad point of that particular week, as you also will know, as regular listeners will know, is that we had my mum's funeral three days before the wedding. So the phrase roller coaster of emotion couldn't ever be more apt, really. Um, that ended up being a very sad but special day too and I was uh, honored to have my now in-laws with us that day um and it really felt like family coming together so that was super important for me anyhow this is not going to be a sad one this week we are celebrating my marriage we are celebrating life and we're celebrating I think we are allowed to say that spring has sprung so we're celebrating all those things. Um, I have my honeymoon, 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 honeymoon to come this week too. And uh, I'll tell you all about that when we are back. Now, this week, um, I've been joined on the podcast by one of my favourite podcasters, Mr Matt Baum of the Sewers of Paris, which is which is a podcast that if you haven't been to yourself yet, you really do need to go and discover let me just give you a brief description the service of paris is a podcast about how gay men's lives were shaped by their favorite books movies music and shows each week guests open up about their secret struggles hidden passions and surprising triumphs by plucking a piece of entertainment from their past and answering the question how did it change your life And now that's from matt that's from his website um Suicide Paris is, is is wonderful and Matt is also an author um, of the book Defining Marriage which he talks about. Um, he writes for Rolling Stone magazine, Vice magazine, The Advocate and, uh, and a, a, a newspaper in Seattle called The Stranger which uh, is also where Dan Savage the other podcaster and expert works so um, he is also a guest on his podcast podcast anyway i can only recommend you go and listen to that um he's also launching another podcast uh called queens of adventure which he talks about in relative depth uh, right here um all i'll say is it's dungeons and drag queens um but matt will tell you all about that um and he also has a podcast defining marriage which is the same title of his book um, I'll add links to The Sewers of Paris. I think Matt has a wonderful energy and I can only recommend The Sewers as a as a must-listen. So please do go and join Matt on that one. Um, but before we hand over to Matt, this week I think I have some really stellar recommendations. It's been a while, so I have three for you. Um, firstly, I want to go straight to Tracy Thorne's album, which is called record pure and simple tracy thorne record now this is a classic album in the true sense of the word classic i think kind of like albums from the 80s heydays and i'm talking about prince michael jackson madonna kate bush eurythmics etc and of course everything but the girl which was tracy thorne's former band um it's a stunning album, I think. Um, highlight tracks being uh, one called "Smoke," which is about her love and disillusionment with London, um, "Sister," which is a feminist, emotional, and kind of relentless dance track, but with a real passion and heart, and then a track called "Dance Floor," which really does what it says on the tin. Um, this is possibly one of my favourite all-time albums in the making. So you must listeners go and download that secondly is an album called geography by tom mish and i have mentioned i think tom mish previously um but let me just spell out the surname again it's m-i-s-c-h tom mish and this really is another stunning album and i'm gonna say it again funky um, but really soulful, really heartfelt. Again, it's everything that's right about music. It's uh, he's a, he's an amazing jazz guitarist. I mean, it's not a jazz album. It's getting played on jazz FM, I believe. Um, but it covers uh, it covers jazz, dance, funk, soul. It, it it ticks all of my boxes. I mean, it's been on repeat this week since its release date. And I'll give you a standout track for that one. Um, which is pretty difficult to give but anyway let's go with um, there's a track called Disco Yes and I'd say that's a summer track extraordinaire in the making and finally an album by the Unknown Mortal Orchestra Unknown Mortal Orchestra and the album is entitled Sex and Food (laughs) now they are a New Zealand based band and they're psychedelic rock with a funk edge that word funk keeps coming back um it's one that requires you to really listen but i'd say listen and the rewards are great um standout track i would say is everyone acts crazy nowadays it's called everyone acts crazy nowadays which has an almost prince parade vibe to it um it's probably the best way i can describe it it's not all princey but it's just that particular track has that vibe style to it so there's three there to keep you really busy and let me know what you think of them and don't forget you can chat to me directly now uh, on my podcast website which is 40 somethinggay.co.uk and the 40 is the number so 40 something gay.co.uk and 40 something gay all as one word and it's 40 the number Anyway ladies and jelly babies it's time to introduce you to the marvelous matt baum i discovered you uh because of eric marcus oh
1: great yeah he's fantastic i saw that you uh you had him on uh, a previous episode so uh he's always great for conversation
0: yeah he was uh i was i was i was researching him and then i discovered your podcast and as i say then i i consumed um a great amount over a period of uh, about two weeks so uh um i'm still i'm still going through your back catalog there seems there's a lot <laughs> yeah it is it's been about three
1: uh, three years i've been doing the show so uh 160 i think guests at this point which yeah looking back it's like wow how did i
0: how did i do that <laughs> um your uh, your your energy and your enthusiasm is is really contagious and you know uh, on your podcast your listeners and to to your guests clearly when you're talking to them it's um it's you you have a you have a gift um you're you're you you're pretty prolific as well i mean i've just researching that you're as well as obviously the podcast that you're obviously i've, I've looked at your youtube channel um and your weekly debrief um your other podcast uh defining marriage which is also your first book i believe yep yep so
1: uh let's see uh it was about i think two years or so ago maybe three that uh i did that that's uh just a you know overview of uh some of the ways that uh, the fight for marriage equality has affected people's lives here. So for 40 years in the U S we've been working on marriage equality and finally, finally we're able to get it from like it being a big joke in the seventies up till today. Uh, when it's mm. just like, it feels like a fact of life and always has been, but, uh, you know, it's easy to forget, like just how unlikely it seemed for so long.
0: Yeah. Um, did you, cause you, 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 you did mention, I did read somewhere that, um, from writing the book, you've uh it's it's well put you off but it's deterred you from marriage yourself well sort of yeah so when I started
1: the <laughs> process of you know I've been fighting for marriage you know fighting in kind of air quotes like not physically but uh you yeah. know it's been a cause for many years and um I, a part of that was that I've been with my partner for a long time um we met around 2000 or so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, uh, there were a couple of years in there where I was like, oh, we've been together for like around that time. It was seven or so years. And I was like, well, we probably should be married. Why aren't we married? It's weird that <laughs> my profe- my friends and my colleagues and professional connections all talk about their husbands and wives. And why, why aren't I? Yeah. Um, so that was one of the reasons that marriage was sort of, uh, you know, personally important to me. It just, I, I, was concerned that something was wrong with my relationship because I wasn't married. Um, And the more involved I got in the marriage fight over the years. uh, So I worked on the trial to overturn prop eight here uh, in the U.S. That was in California um, and uh, just going to rallies after rally after rally and doing tons of internet videos, hundreds, literally hundreds of internet videos about Mm. what's happening week to week with marriage equality. Um, You know, and meeting people who've been working on marriage uh, for those decades that I would go on to write about. You know, I got sort of a different appreciation of of why it matters and what marriage means, and uh, also you know an appreciation for how personal uh, marriage is for for every couple that enters into it or every um, sure. you know relationship that that in- indulges in marriage, um, and also an appreciation for what it meant to my partner. That uh, you know, it's 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 a different thing to different people. Um, Absolutely. And, and ultimately, uh, where we sort of came down is that uh, what's important to us is, is each other and, and the relationship and uh, f- crafting something, creating something that is meaningful to two people, not just meaningful yeah. to one of them. And marriage was meaningful to me and it wasn't as meaningful to my partner. And, and so what we've kind of created here is, is something that is uh, important to both of us uh, without yeah. the paperwork. That having yeah. been said, the legal rights and responsibilities and and protections and everything uh, are is super important, and the you know having uh, uh, legal equality and and being treated the same under the law is, is absolutely crucial. so uh, you know it, it was an important thing to fight for uh as as a society uh, and at some point we might get married ourselves uh, absolutely. we'll see we'll see what the future holds.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting um because i i um, i I got married two weeks ago. Um, and oh, congratulations! After, thank you. <laughs> no, that was after twenty years um, of mm-hmm. being together, and um, it, it was a. It, there was kind of initially, as you say, having the thing of a lot of friends who were doing it in the early days of it becoming a thing here, um, and there was sort of that there was initially there was just peer. It's it's just like peer pressure, and that's definitely not your reason to to to, to go into it. And so it was a considered. Um, thing mm. and my, my, my partner, who's also from the US, um, is uh, it, it did want to kind of make sure we were doing it for the right reasons. Twenty years later, so <laughs> I'm with you there. Yep, yep.
1: It's yeah, I think um, there's a generation, uh, it, it, sort of a generational split. Um, b- After which marriage for um, younger folks, marriage is just very important or a fact of life or it's just the way, you know, the thing that you're always working towards. And then for queer people over a certain age, uh, you know, we've had to make do without it and be okay not having access to marriage for so long and, uh, you know, for such a major part of our lives that now that we've got it, we're like, yeah, maybe, (laughs) you know, it's not quite as important as it is to to people who grew up uh, around
0: straight people. No, you're right. It's the ability. It's the it's the effect. It's the the ability, um, and the possibility. Um, mm-hmm. But um, so Matt, if I can if I can um take you back 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 in time a little bit here, um, and just kind of, uh, to, to your, to your youth. Where did you where were you where were you born and where did you grow up? Where did you where was your childhood spent?
1: So it's pretty much uh, entirely in Connecticut and like a very suburban sort of setting. So like individual family homes and you got to drive everywhere um, and, you know, picket fences and dogs and uh, (laughs) stuff like that and kids biking through the neighborhood. Uh, So it was a bit like, you know, those uh, earlier Steven Spielberg movies that, you know, Steven Spielberg movies from the 80s where they're very small neighborhood sort of stories. Um, so that was it. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be in Connecticut, which is a fairly, uh, progressive part of the country, uh, and had some pretty great parents who both my parents were, um, academics. And, uh, um, so it was was a pretty, um, growing up childhood was, was pretty, um, you know, education focused. It was, it was, uh, there were a lot of expectations and, uh, a lot of, uh, um, there was there was a there was a there was a premium placed on um being being smart uh and yeah. and working hard and so and not on uh religion and uh on being part of um you know it's actually it's honestly something that I kind of missed as a kid uh, that we we're a fairly uh, solitary family because we just did not we're not a part of uh like organized religious groups yeah. uh and there's a part of me that's sometimes like oh i wonder it would have been nice to have the community of that uh but also part of like well i certainly don't miss the baggage that would have come along with that
0: no absolutely um and so as far as uh, academically so you school was something you enjoyed and so uh, you used well did you enjoy school Well, I don't know that I enjoyed school exactly,
1: Um, but what I enjoyed was feeling like there was something that I was good at and getting good grades was something I was good at. Uh, So that made me feel nice. Uh, It was still, you know, like I was a weird kid and and nerdy and liked all the wrong things. So, you know, (laughs) I didn't have a ton of friends and, uh, you know, just always felt like uh, an outsider and that I didn't belong for various reasons. Uh, And then it was, you know, once I once I grew up that I figured out what was going on
0: there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, did you uh, at was school? Uh, what age did you identify, if that's the right word, as as a as a as a gay man, gay boy?
1: It would have been uh, around uh, high school, I think. You know, I had this uh, inkling, like, okay, I like. Uh, something about these boys I like looking at and, you know, it was definitely a liability to be, uh, at that time, gay is, is what everybody would have said. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it was something I didn't want for a long time. Uh, and then just kind of got used to, well, it's just not going away, is it? (laughs) Either Mm -hmm. I can, either I could keep fighting it and uh, there just wasn't enough pressure on me. There wasn't enough pressure on me. Not to be gay, and I was so used to being an outsider because I was, you know, a big nerd. That uh-huh. I was like, all right, well, this is just, you know, I'm I'm not going to stop being a nerd, and I'm not going to stop being gay. So I guess I might as well just get used to being an outsider for another reason. And by yeah. that time, I was fortunate to have found uh, the drama club, which you know, for so many kids, the drama club is sort of their substitute GSA. And uh-huh. you know, there were other weird kids in there, other kids who would come out or were just <clears throat> queer in some in some way that either you know their sexuality or just their sure. aesthetic uh, and so that was uh, a supportive environment for me uh, so it probably would have been around like 16 17 or so
0: okay so then did theater theater play um, a crucial part in the uh, in your late teens and early 20s then
1: yeah absolutely uh, I got into it um, a little bit younger because um, my mother uh, just seemed to think that it would be a good idea for me. And she was right. Uh, so <laughs> she signed me up for, gosh, what was the show? It was Leader of the Pack, which is a, a musical about uh, songs from the like 50s and 60s. Okay. And, uh-huh. um, Yeah. Yeah. So I was very shy and very retiring and, you know, just kind of in the background of the course, Um, but also realized there are weird kids doing weird things that I just don't know. And and this is a way to meet them and gradually feel a little more confident about myself and putting myself in front of people. And so I'm really grateful for everything that, you know, little local community youth theater uh, was able to provide. Uh, That's where I met all my I think pretty much all my like good, strong friends and Feeling like I actually belonged to a group that the first time it happened that yeah, I can yeah. that I can think of
0: was was in that group. I think that's a, a common theme. It seems to be quite a common theme with a lot of your guests actually as well. I mean, even if they haven't continued, even if you're not been, even if you speaking to people who aren't necessarily in theatre world or in performance still, that that has been uh, a, a stepping stone, a safe stepping stone. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be a common theme. As Has, interestingly, just I, I noticed that Cabaret has come up a lot. The show Cabaret has come up a lot across many of your podcasts. I think you even mentioned it yourself, and it's incredible that that has such resonance, and I suppose the MC has a certain resonance.
1: Yeah, I would say that's true. Um, having a context where... You know, because so many of us have to disappear and blend in and then having a environment where it's acceptable to be the center of attention, to have a spotlight on you. Mm. Uh, what a relief for not for not for every queer person, but, uh, you know, to, to have that opportunity at last to be seen and to do something more authentic. Yeah. I, I You know, it's, it's just it's vital, absolutely vital. And I think that... Um, you know, we'll always be outsiders and weirdos to some extent. Queer people will always be outsiders and weirdos to some extent just because of who, you know, we're we're unusual and mm-hmm. we're not common. Um, and, you know, so there will always be that feeling of who am I and, and do I belong and who are my people and how do I express myself and do I have to hide? Uh, I think as as no matter how much acceptance and no matter how welcoming society is to us, we'll always be a little bit different. Yeah, Uh, and so I think the arts are always going to sort of beckon to us as a way to discover ourselves and and find some sort of
0: truth that is not accessible out in the mainstream yeah 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 totally agree Um, Matt I'm also going to turn things around on you a little bit because your uh, big question is uh, what is the entertainment that changed your life so therefore I'm throwing the question back at you what's the entertainment that changed your life
1: You know, I've thought about this a lot, and uh, one of the reasons that I uh, do the journalism that I do and the interviews that I do is so that I don't have to talk about myself. It's just a way to like (laughs) do what you're doing, turn it around on other people. Uh, But um, uh, kind of a weird hodgepodge of things. Um, So as a family, um, Star Trek The Next Generation was really important for us as a way to watch something together and share values. And so that really, it it shaped a lot of values for me in terms of curiosity and open-mindedness and... Uh, letting people, uh, you know, a a big cornerstone of that is non-interference or at least it's, it's supposed to be usually, uh, and so, you know, just letting people be themselves and do their thing and, uh, appreciating that other cultures have other values and other people have other values. Yeah. Um, you know, that was, that was a big part of my life. Um, going even younger, the show Fraggle Rock was pretty important to me. Uh, that's, Uh. it was a show, like, I certainly, you know, I didn't appreciate this as a kid, but, uh it was a show about a logical chosen family who all look out for each other. And yeah. it really taught me how to be a good person. Uh, that show. It's something that yeah. really sticks with me to this day. Um, and then that more that's... as an adult, uh, Priscilla queen of the desert was like the first queer movie that really uh, resonated right, right. with me. And again, you know, chosen family that is looking out for each other on this big musical adventure. Uh, you know, I, I think fraggle rock to uh queen, uh, to, to, um, to Priscilla, uh, those you know you can you can kind of trace a line between those two things. And mm-hmm. as, as as I grew up, my interest grew up with me. Sure, uh, But sure. those
0: those those are the things that really made a difference for me. Um, and is there is there um, uh, musically has there been? And I'm not talking musical here. Uh, uh, artists singers pop stars has there been somebody because i know that's uh that's a big thing with a lot of people have spoken about madonna on your podcast whether that's something that resonates with you or somebody of a similar ilk that struck a chord with you so i don't think it's a person so much as the genre of musical
1: theater um mm-hmm. was you know, that that was another way, it was sort of a signifier for me to know when someone was a part of my group, and still is to this day. Like, if I can talk to somebody about musical theater, then I know, okay, we have common experiences and common interests. And even if we don't like the same shows, we have a language that we can speak. And yeah. so, yeah, it was, it was musical theater for me. Uh, pop music kind of passed me by, and mm-hmm. so for a long time, it just wasn't my thing. And still, to this day... Like, I'm always the last to know about songs. I I don't know who people are. I don't know who musicians are. For some reason, it's just not exactly my thing. Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. But musical theater, like, if it's part of a big story that we tell on stage, then I'm interested. That's, you know, I I guess I need the the drama of it to to get inside the the
0: song. And if you had to name name a favorite in that world. Oh, that is very difficult. (laughs) Um, Off the top of your head at this moment today.
1: Yikes. Oh, well, so the thing that changed my life, like the thing that was really life shaping and that now I look back on and I roll my eyes a little bit is the musical Rent. Uh, so I oh, was yeah. very invested in that as, as a kid, as a high school student in nineteen ninety oh seven I think, mm-hmm. uh, that was so important for me for being like, oh wow, you know, as, even grownups are, are, you know, outcasts and weirdos and look at these people rejecting yeah. the status quo and being rebels and drinking coffee. Uh, so <laughs> that was really important for me as a teenager. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, just pay, pay your rent. You know, like, all right, you're, you're very creative. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a little over it now, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, that was a big one for me. I think into the woods keeps coming to me at different uh, times in my life. You know, here's what it is, is like uh, different songs from different shows. So, um, the whole like a lot of into the woods is important to me but uh the the show chess uh Uh nobody's side is like a really important song everybody's very um nuts about anthem from that show but for me it's nobody's side um gosh what other shows um yeah the i just you know i think the sound of music is a thing of beauty and (laughs) so i just really like it like it's not like um life-changing for me exactly but i just think it's a lovely show absolutely
0: Um, yeah, did. I'm
1: trying to think of, like, other other soundtracks that, that I've owned over the years. Um, I guess uh, Defying Gravity is, you know, you, you can't get around Defying Gravity. Sure. Oh, and it's not exactly, it's not a stage musical yet, but I think The Muppet Movie is, um,
0: that's another one that oh, yeah.
1: uh, is really, it's a sacred text for me. Uh, yeah. Rainbow Connection is, it was it was pretty
0: formative for me oh, as well. Oh, goodness, yes. Totally, totally agree with you on that one. Um, so when did when did journalism actually become part of your career trajectory or your, the thought that this is going to be a thing for you what what stage was this in your life when that happened
1: yeah so uh, it, it's sort of been an on and off relationship. I kind of think of myself as um you know when you sometimes see like uh, those um, Films of like horses galloping alongside a train. I sort of think of myself as um, kind of like galloping alongside journalism, but never actually able to ride it. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, you know, I've written for many publications. I still do. I write for the magazine Them. I write for Rolling Stone now and then. Yeah. I write, you know, I I take photos for The Advocate and I write for uh, Vice magazine. Uh, so you know, I definitely am accompanying journalism, and uh, you know I'm I'm talking to people, doing interviews, distilling their experiences into you know narrative nonfiction. Um, so from the outside, it does look like journalism, but um, I you know, I think of what I'm doing more as, as as storytelling, and it's just they happen to be stories that actually happened. Um, yeah. So I guess maybe that is a definition of journalism. I'm not sure, but I don't think of myself as a reporter exactly. Sure, um, that, sure. That, it's it's always been sort of. Um, Storytelling's always been a part of my life, whether it was fiction or nonfiction. And so it was probably around 2004, maybe. Um, okay. I just, as sort of like a hobby, uh, started blogging for um, a local news site called SFist, which is it was in San Francisco, so SFist. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I was writing, you know, it was like a review of a new a tiki restaurant that had opened or something that I saw on the local news station or saw a a local politician just riding the train, you know, just like little blurbs I would write about and gradually just like writing about my experiences and what was happening and sort of journaling, but in journaling in a way that is relevant to other people that was super fun for me and uh, gradually became a big enough part of my life that I could leave my office day job behind and just devote myself full time to it. Um, ah, and right. so, you know, it's, it's a part of my life now, but I also do, um, stuff that's a little bit more, um, uh, you know, like, I don't know, my podcast, uh, the sewers of Paris, I don't know if I'd call it journalism or not, probably you could make the case. Um, but <laughs> it's much more about, you know, just getting somebody to open up and talk. And it's sort of like, um, yeah. my, my goal for it is just to listen in on two friends, having a personal conversation even though like most of the time we've only just met but it's me just asking uh super invasive personal questions of of somebody um and no i know i do
0: yes i I think that's the beauty of your podcast is that it that it is uh that it is conversational and um and yeah so when i say journalist i'm i'm sort of referring to all to all the stuff outside of series of paris in my mind but yes definitely i i love that approach and i think you get more from the people that you're talking to, because it is a, it is more of a one-to-one.
1: Yeah. One-to-one is, is, um, a good way of looking at it. Um, that it's, it's important for me to make that emotional connection. You know, I think the reason that I shy away from saying journalism or reporter is because of the... stigma, like personal stigma to me that that carries of um, just being very just va- just the facts and here's mm-hmm. what happened and here's what you need to know and the um, freeway on-ramp is going to be closed between these hours mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. the town council meeting is happening on this date yeah. and they're going to be considering these facts on the agenda. Uh, yeah. That is not something I'm interested in doing. I, yeah. I, I need the... Um, emotional personal connection and so that's why I do series of Paris, and that's why I do a lot of the shows that I do and the journalism that I do the reporting that I do in magazines uh, you know I, I don't think I'd be able to write something that's strictly about um, there was an election for dogcatcher this week uh, it's got to be about you know you know what made you cry or uh-huh. you know when when was the, the the first time you felt a connection with the person you fell in love with you know those those kinds yeah. of stories about you know like getting deep into the
0: the, the, the deep heart of the soul of a person uh, that's 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 what i want to be doing no absolutely i mean i i, I I'll, I'll i'll speak to you i chat to you a little bit about about uh, your work in and i, I was reading uh, the um because you wrote for the stranger which is a seattle-based um yeah alternative newspaper um and um you'd written about uh, your first experiences of um of your own gaydar becoming apparent to you and, and how that worked and Clearly, that again, as you say, it's it's things that are from your heart and from your soul that uh, that you know that you've that you have you've chosen to to, to talk about. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, seldom that I put
1: myself into my writing. Um, I, like at least as a character. You know, I think everything creative that somebody creates is is autobiographical in some way. So even when I'm writing about somebody else, I'm I'm really writing about myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh yeah, every now and then I've got my own story to tell. Uh, yeah. I, you know it's it's tough to to look at yourself and know what's interesting about your own life. Like everybody is really terrible. Every single person is terrible at saying here's what's inter- here's what's interesting about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that when somebody says here's something interesting or here's something funny, they're almost always wrong. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when you look at somebody else, it's easy to it's easy to see like oh well, this is the thing about you that interests me. So you know I I'm usually pretty reluctant to make myself, you know, to do the strictly autobiographical stuff. But every now and then, yeah, I, you know, I wrote a piece for The Stranger about um, a friendship that I had as a as a kid before I really knew what gay meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, friendship with another boy that later on, uh, I saw a lot of myself in him, but we went in very different directions. And, and I was very queer in high school. And it was something that he emphatically rejected. And you know, he right. passed away a couple of years ago. And so I'll never know exactly what was going on with him. But right. uh, because we became very diametrically opposed and never reconciled. And, you know, I wonder if, you know, at what point and to what extent our paths diverged and uh, at what point and to what extent they could have come back together.
0: Hmm. hmm. I. hmm. I, I, I have I have a have one of those from my school days as well, and I I really don't know what ever happened to him, but um, there was always a bit of a, uh, the energy was, there was slight competition.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... um You know, it's a very, like, I feel very, like, what might have been uh, about that story. But Mm -hmm. also, like, carries still a lot of anger uh, that is just always going to be sort of a roommate of mine that, you know, I'm always going to have this, you know, anger at um, the abuse and hostility that I suffered from his group of people directed at my group of people Mm because they were the Mm -hmm. popular and sportsy ones who... You know, it was very important. I'll say it was very important for him and his friends to be hostile towards me and important to a level that I was like, why? Why was it so important? And and what was that doing for you? And what other ways might there have been for for him to have dealt with that? Yeah, Um, This is maybe more empathy than than a a person who exhibited a lot of cruelty deserves, but... Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, empathy has sort of become like my primary it's like the first thing I reach for in my tool chest when I'm I'm doing a, a something creative like some making some creative work. And so empathy's empathy has been good to me and so yeah. I want to be good to it and and share share my empathy with other people. And sometimes
0: that's a good thing and sometimes mm-hmm. it it kind of hurts. Oh, I think well, yeah, most of the time it's it's for the, it's definitely for the best. Um Matt the sewers of Paris. So that's been with you since 2015 is that right uh yes yes 2015 i think that's correct and <laughs> doing it for a long time now <laughs> then and the name sewers of paris comes from the name of a of a bar of a gay bar in um is it it was in la uh, i believe yeah yeah so it's
1: something that i just kind of stumbled across by accident um when I I was living in Los Angeles, um, but it was actually in Washington, D.C. that I learned about it. Okay. Uh, I was in D.C. for the um, it was the oral argument in the Prop 8 case. And so I was there like one day outside the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, I went inside the Supreme Court to see the argument at one point. Um, you know, there's huge rallies and protests, hundreds, yeah. of maybe thousands of people um, like a big day, a big day for for queer activism um, all around the court. And then the next day, I went to the uh, Library of Congress, which was right next door, and mm. uh, was looking through the files of Frank Kameny, who is a um, sort of pre Harvey Milk activist. Okay. Uh, did a lot of, you know, I think um, uh, it would have been around the 50s, 60s, 70s or so. Uh, he, you know, organized people around Washington, D.C. about uh, queer activism. And so I was looking through his papers and found this ad. There were a lot of ads in uh, the, the newsletters of the 70s uh, mm. for uh, bars and bathhouses and uh, places for people to gather. And I found this ad for a place in Los Angeles called The Sewers of Paris. And I just thought it was the goofiest name for a bar. And (laughs) it had, you know, ads for um, they had a brunch, apparently, and had some very hastily, maybe not hastily, but um, not the most polished uh, uh, art uh, drawn of like men going to this place. And I think it was, um, oh, uh, shoot, what was his name? uh, He was a French... Um, personality, 1800s, he was, uh, very short, um, Um, he's in Moulin Rouge, he's played by John Leguizamo in Moulin
0: Rouge, I can't remember his name, uh, (laughs) yes, yes, (laughs) it'll come to us, it'll come to us. (laughs) Anyway, there was a drawing of him,
1: like, walking into the bar, uh, so I just thought it was a very funny, um, phenomenon, and so when it came time to name my podcast, I, I had totally forgotten about this bar, but, um... It was actually suggested to me by my partner, James, uh, as a name, because, it, it, you know, the it's sort of the double, triple meaning of it of, uh, first of all, it's a tribute to this bar. Second of all, we're going beneath the surface and, uh, you know, plumbing, the you know, the, there's the glittery lights Christ. of the city above and the dark depths below. Uh, so it's just, you know, evocative uh, as as an evocative name uh, seemed uh, appropriate for, for the podcast. Because uh, that's what I do—is is, you know, peel back the surface and look at the layers of uh, the entertainment that's changed the lives of gay men. And uh, so uh, I'm I'm pretty pleased. And you know, Paris is just uh, just seems like a pretty gay place to me. So uh, <laughs> it, it all it all seemed to come together with that name. Does the the bar doesn't exist any longer? I presume. No, uh, I actually. It turned out that I worked at the time. My uh, office where we worked on the Prop 8 trial was just like it was a five minute walk away and so I'd walk past it all the time walk past the building right. um, it's just a it's kind of a bricks um, facade now um, there's uh, I think a sound recording studio inside okay. um, so it hasn't been a bar for many many years uh, but I have heard from people who have the the you know foggy recollection of going to it back in the 70s
0: fantastic. Um, and I love. I loved the. Uh, I noted that you mentioned the uh, their signature drink being called the Manhole Cover. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yes, very tasteful. Very uh, <laughs> good. Good. Good job, you guys. Well done. <laughs> um, your um, you, you, some of the podcasts recently. You've had uh, you you'd speak to people from all over the world, and um, a couple of favourites recently for me was uh, you were talking to um, the gentleman Tony Moore. Um, about Tina Turner. Um, and t- uh, Tony Moore has his own show. I think is a is a YouTube show.
1: Yeah, lounging with Tony is Lounge the name. Uh, and so yeah, and so he went out to L.A. To, you know to be to be an actor and a host, and, and that's what he does. Is he hosts stuff? You can uh, see him interviewing people. You know, we're, we're similar line of work. Uh, he's much more entertainment focused, like current pop culture entertainment focused Okay. And so he's talking about the stuff that's very popular that I have no idea about.
0: You had the the one that I have to say that I was, uh, that I I I was I, I'm a massive, a massive Buffy fan. I have VHS cassette tapes, crushing um, bookcases in in in, in the mm-hmm. room I'm in with, with talking to you right now. So having Drew Greenberg in was uh, was was fascinating, and hearing him talk to you about the story of uh, that were how the Willow um and tara story came about yeah um I, it's
1: uh I... it was really great to to talk to him i'm I'm really grateful to him for for being on the show and so he was a writer on buffy and um just hearing about like the experience of being in the writer's room and the things that influenced him when he was like deciding you know he was going to be a lawyer and so he was just writing for fun and somebody saw the right script that he'd written and completely changed his life and yeah and there he is still still working writer in hollywood uh yeah. so uh and and very, um, you know, I really admire how important it is to him and how insistent he is about including queer content in the stories that he writes. Uh, yeah. It's really meaningful that, that, you know, it's not something he is afraid to do or has been talked out of because there is a lot of pressure to say, oh, no, that's, you know, it's too gay or people aren't going to relate to it or, uh, you yeah. know. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe it's true that people aren't going to relate to it and, and too bad because, you know, uh, queer people have been not relating to straight people, struggling to find themselves in straight media for, for enough decades. Yeah. Uh, we can have some queer characters now.
0: Absolutely. Um, Do, do you have have you continued to, uh, sort of stay in touch with a lot of your guests? I mean, have you, have you developed, um, friendships with, with people that are kind of ongoing or is it always quite fleeting in and out and how does that work for you?
1: <laughs> you know, it varies. Um, so, you know, with Drew actually, um, you know, when, when I do go to LA, I, you know, send him a note and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's meet up and get coffee. Um, and, you know, and a lot of people who are on the show have, were my friends before I started doing the show. Um, but yeah, it's been a nice way, you know, Sewers of Paris, the, the podcast has been a nice way to just, you know, make friends and meet people and, uh, make a connection with somebody who, you know, the the, the reason that I started doing the show is because I noticed in my conversations with gay men that we have these touchstones, cultural touchstones, and a common language of entertainment. And, you know, we may not understand, we may not have seen something, but as soon as you start describing it, you know, a gay man might be like, oh, yeah, it's just like this other thing. So, uh, you know, I started doing the show as a way to uh, uncover those things. Uh, And so it's not surprising to me that when I talk to somebody about the entertainment that's affected them, uh, you know, it it forms a strong basis for an ongoing friendship. So it's been a really nice way to form my own personal friendship community uh and and make friends with people it's sort of like my 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 drama club of today you know for all the things that drama club did for me as a kid uh you know my my podcast is like a one-man drama club for myself yeah but it's not one man because every episode i've got a different person on so there's hundreds of people now who have uh connected with through
0: the show sure so you so it's 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 an ever-growing concern really then the sounds of it exactly um, so Rolling Stone, um, yeah, how did how did that come about? To, to to was this your own application, or did someone hunt you down, or how did that how did that come about for you writing with them? I've read a couple of your articles. Yeah, so I've done two pieces for them. Uh, I did one
1: about Chelsea Manning, uh, yeah. about when she was coming out of uh, prison, about like what the world is going to be like for her when she comes out. Yeah. Uh, and then I did another about leather culture, which was super fun to write. Mm. Uh, I'm working on another piece for them now. Uh, so uh, that happened because you know, it was sort of a gay mafia moment where a friend of mine was writing for them. Uh, and I was like, oh, you know, I I've got some ideas. <laughs> I have some right. things I'd like to write for them. Uh, so I just reached out through a friend and he put me in touch with the right person. This is, you know, it's a case of queer people looking out for each other where, uh, you know, I said to a friend, you know, I want to write about gay stuff for Rolling Stone. He's like, all right, let me put you in touch with the right person. Uh, and, okay. uh, you know, uh, I, I, think, uh, it's, it's nice. It feels good when, uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're always going to be a minority and we're always going to be a bit put upon because we're different. And so, uh, I like when that, you know, the gay family is, we're looking out for each other and, and giving each other. A, uh, it's a little bit of help in the
0: world absolutely um uh the the uh, i read uh, uh, your article in vice um about um merrymount in massachusetts oh yeah um, yeah um could you just tell us a little bit more about that because it was fast i was thought it was fascinating So that
1: I wrote around Thanksgiving about the founders uh, and and, and not exactly the founders, but the, you know, first colonists who came over to uh, essentially invade uh, the what we now call America from the people who are living here at the time. Uh, So the colonists came over and, uh, you know, we have this idea that queer is something brand new, but Mm. uh, there's a lot of evidence that there was a lot of uh, uh, inter- interconnectedness between uh, people of the same sex, uh, you know, they certainly would not have used the word queer. They, yeah. Or maybe they would have, but in a way that's very different from from how we would use it. Um, and uh, homosexuality was certainly was not an idea at the time. Uh, but so this article that I wrote was, you know, just looking at what evidence we have uh, of what life was like for people who were same-sex attracted in the 1600s in uh, the the early colonies. Uh, And uh, so there were certainly um, prohibition on same-sex relationships, but it was not terribly strictly enforced at certain times. Other times it was. Uh, there was there's evidence that uh, there was sort of a, a separatist group that uh, split off from the uh, the very strict Protestants uh, or not Protestants of so the uh, the Pilgrims yeah. uh, and uh, created uh, essentially like a, a short lived hippie commune where there was a lot of uh, licentiousness and there there was probably a giant phallus sculpture in the middle yeah. of town and there was a lot of sexual freedom with the uh, indigenous people. And uh, that was a stop was put to that pretty quickly. But when we hear descriptions of it today, what it really calls to mind for me is gay pride parades. You have people dressed in like ostentatious rainbow outfits and, uh, you know, uh, having uh, being very sexually free with each other. And I'm like, boy, they were really ahead of their time. If only they'd been alive, you know, these 300 years or more. uh, What is it? Uh, 400 years later. Yeah. uh, Close to 500 now. um, Boy, oh, boy, the fun they would have had. (laughs) <laughs> uh, with uh <laughs> with with uh with but, what we've what, been able to to do it only took it only took a couple hundred years for us to realize the promise of of Marymount
0: yeah i mean it, incredible that that you know, I, I just i mean like that that for me in, you know in a country in such its early stages for that to 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 occur and for that to, to it just i i i think it's wonderful that's the kind of history that i i want to hear and uh, and i think we should know more about because um we only go back so far and people sort of stop at stop at stonewall um <laughs> mm-hmm. it's kind of like what happened before from stone age <laughs> from stonehenge <laughs> yeah. to now but um yeah
1: well you know we've always been there we've always been having sex with each other yeah. uh, we've You know, it's always been a thing. And, uh, you know, our history has been very erased and covered up and we've been rendered invisible. Uh, And so I'm I'm very much about, like, uncovering that and and telling what stories exist and trying to fill in the gaps as best we can. Mm, Absolutely. And doing wonderful jobs. I really want Uh, someone to make. I want to see. You know, we've got so many creation myths about America and, and so many stories that are completely wrong about how the country began and what was going on here before the country began. I would love to see somebody create a... A story set in the 1600s in the colonies uh, in, involving the native people that whose, you know, culture we destroyed. Uh, you know, what was, you know, give, give me some queer stories about that. In fact, there is a there's a, a very short comic uh, that two of my friends did, Levi Hastings and um, Josh Trujillo, mm-hmm. uh, did a, a short comic about uh, it's a little bit later. It's 17, 1700s, I think, um, uh, about uh, a same sex couple, uh, you know, living around the time of the Revolutionary War uh and uh you know i'm i'm just so glad that that exists and, and okay. that those stories
0: are finally being told that's one for people to definitely go and search out i'm going to go and investigate that that's yeah i mean I, uh yeah i'm just i'm
1: trying to remember the the the
0: title of it um
1: uh gosh it was uh, declaration was the name of it um declaration, two two okay. men uh, during
0: the yeah around the time of the declaration of independence okay um and going back as well you 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 did an article about um stonewall columbus ghost hunters queer go uh, looking for queer go- i mean that that in itself is it's is brilliant i i i want to if i'm going to encounter a spirit i want it to be one of my own kind um yeah <laughs> did you did you go out on did you go on the road did you go into uh, s- scenarios and and spend time in a in a did you hunt ghosts personally? No, so they're uh, actually based across the country from me. So I'm in Seattle, and
1: uh, they do a lot of their ghost hunting around Ohio. Uh, right. So um, you know, it's 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 fairly distant. Um, so you know, I talk to them about their experiences. I watch them. Fortunately, there's a whole documentary series, uh, a docu series that follows them uh, as they're doing their uh, their. Um, practices uh so uh you know i watched what they what they do they go into these places and and there's they make a good point which is that the places that we often think of as being haunted uh, are often places that queer people would have been concentrated so old abandoned theaters uh uh, uh, mental hospitals uh you know mansions these are places that there would have been uh that we have evidence that there were queer people in these environments. And so, uh, you know, what I'm really interested in is what we just talked about actually is daylighting those stories of the queer people who lived back then. Uh, I'm not particularly enthusiastic about the supernatural, um, but uh, I love, I love to, you know, talk about like who, who are our, our queer forefathers and who paved the way for us and whose stories don't we know that, that we can, that we can learn about.
0: I think there's, I think there's, there's definitely a gap in that, in that market, and uh, I'm sure you'll jump on it if someone else does. It's, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, well, as long as Ryan Murphy doesn't take hold of it. And <laughs> mm-hmm. there, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot more to be told. Is, is,
1: basi- you know, there's plenty of room. We're never going to run out of stories about gay people because uh, there's, there's billions upon billions of us. So uh, we'll always. Uh, we'll always have more stories out there to to
0: to excavate absolutely absolutely um because i'm aware of time constraints um there's so much to want to talk to you about but um the queens of adventure podcast which you're launching in is i believe it's may of this year Yes, so
1: Queens of Adventure—it's uh, a uh, new podcast because we all need more podcasts. Uh, so <laughs> it's a new podcast featuring uh, drag queens playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, uh, it started off as a live show here in Seattle. Uh, it turns out drag queens are really good at D and D, at using I mean, their adventure, uh, using their imagination, and uh, uh, going on an adventure and telling a story and being creative and weird, uh, and and just diving into the fantasy and role
0: play of it. Uh, so it so we had drag queens a- playing. So, yeah, as a as a live show, as a live show, and it was it's kind of so it was Dungeons and Dragons and but kind of improv uh, improving comedy uh, as they play exactly okay
1: yeah exactly it's it, you know essentially when you get down to it it's a big improv game but it's more than that because uh, there's I mean when I say game there's a real game to it there's a strategy and you have to be uh, oh, sure. in addition to just being funny and making stuff up you have to be clever and you have to be telling a story like a long story so it can't just be like uh, you know, I'm, I'm just making stuff up for the fun of it, which mm-hmm. is fun. But, mm-hmm. you know, you got to be doing it like in character and you got to be thinking like, OK, not only am I in character, but, you know, I'm trying to achieve this objective, whether it's, you know, rescuing somebody or getting treasure, defeating a villain. Uh, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of balls that you got to keep in the air. Uh, so we were just <laughs> yeah. doing it as little um, one off um, live shows, like little comedy shows. Uh, You know, they're two hours long and we do an entire adventure in about two hours. Uh, And it's popular enough. The show always sells out uh, and uh, there's, you know, always demand for it. So we're like, all right, let's bring it to more people. And so we're going to start recording this uh,
0: podcast uh, and it's going to launch in May. Queens of Adventure. Everyone should tune in. Now, did you you've been doing it in in, so you do it in Seattle, but have you, you you've also been doing it in did you do it in San Francisco as well? Yeah. So we took it on the road to San Francisco um, last month
1: um, uh, with a brand new cast. So uh, we went down uh, and performed at Oasis, which is a glorious uh, performance venue that uh, Heklina, Drag Queen in uh, in San Francisco, opened. And uh, so we had uh, a brand new, like, local cast. We love, like, having queens, like, localizing the show to where we bring it. Uh, And it was just a huge, uh, it was just a huge success. So fun. Uh, We're looking at doing more shows in uh, Chicago and Los Angeles and bringing it to more places. And uh, so I'm going to be at DragCon uh, in Los Angeles in May. Ah. And we're going to be doing a, uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about this. It's going to be a panel at DragCon where we play a game of D&D with some drag queens at DragCon. Brilliant. Uh, uh, and I'm so excited for this. I cannot wait. Um, and we'll have some we'll have some some local queens there who are who are coming in for Dragon to play to play D and
0: I just could not be more excited about this. I absolutely. I, I totally get that. I'm I, if I could be there, I I would. Now here's the, here's a question. Are you going to bring any of this to London? <laughs> I'd love to. I mean, uh, we gotta we gotta find
1: a way to scale it up so that we can make it international. Because uh, I really, I, you know, I've, I've traveled around Europe a bit in the past, and uh, I would love to just do like a tour of Queens of Adventure, where we go from like European capital to European capital, oh. the different cast of drag queens in each one, uh, telling some like epic story, like marching across Europe, uh, <laughs> oh yes, uh, rescuing yes. people and fighting monsters, and you know, I, I mean, what a dream it would be to do uh, a Queens of Adventure. Uh, show like to record drag queens doing D like in a castle for example oh yeah uh, i mean it would just be so much fun well we've put it
0: out there into the world so <laughs> yep i want to make it happen <laughs> um so and the uh, defining marriage which i am um, i will be completely honest with you i haven't had a chance to read and i'm planning to sit down and uh, and do that. I'm off on holiday, and it's going to be part of my holiday read. However, um, just how how did that come about for you as well? What what what? I mean, you said mentioned at the beginning that um, uh, you know it was th- it's through uh, through all your work in uh, marriage equality. But w- what made you actually sit down and say, right, I need to to put this in words? Well, I mean, do you mean like the
1: the the defining marriage, like yeah. putting that into words, or yeah? Um, hmm. Um. So I'd just been, you know, doing so much marriage stuff for so long. Uh, it just seemed like a good idea. Uh, you, it really was that I'd met so many people doing uh such important, like personally important, work to them. Uh, and you know, whenever I hear somebody is obsessed or like has devoted themselves to something, I know there's there's something special there, and something that other people can probably connect to. And yeah. it may seem impenetrable and strange foreign at first but there's something there that's important to that person so let's see if we can tell that story in a way that that other people can understand and so um it really was just that i had met so many folks for whom this was their life's work or at least you know their life's work for a while Mm. um you know that that i was like okay this is this is important for some reason why and uh, what it came down to is um recognizing The importance of this is going to sound cheesy, but it comes down to love uh, Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. you know, for so many people, their relationships with the person they love is very important. And they feel wounded when it's um, denigrated by society and they want to celebrate. I mean, the reason that I think we have marriage as an institution is because people feel such enormity of emotion uh, when they're in love with somebody that's they, they you know you just can't express it in words and you need a ritual and some sort of practice to uh, to cope with how enormous this this feeling is because otherwise it just overwhelms you. Yeah. This is why people cry at weddings. Uh, and so marriage is is a way to it's a it's another it's a language, it's a tool to to express how you feel. Um and, completely. Uh, you know, that's, 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 that's what I discovered about marriage. And, and, and so you know, it's why I wanted to tell that story and, and, and write the book Defining Marriage is to uh, express, look, this is, this is why this is so important to, to so many people. Uh, and, and it's understandable. It's something that everyone can get. And so, you know, that's, that's what I hope people get out of the book.
0: Yeah, no, completely. And it's, um, it's, as you say, it's, it's, it's every perspective and interesting, you, you, um you, you chatted to uh everybody from dan savage to dustin lance black um and dan dan savage is uh is in the same part of the world as you is that right yep yep he was a guest on the show uh he lives
1: uh, yeah, like a 10 minute walk from me it's it's nice to see like you know he's somebody that i've looked up to for a long time so every mm-hmm. now and then i see him like out and about in town and i'm like hey and he's like hey and so it's nice to just be like you know waving passing acquaintance friends with uh with somebody you know whose work i've been reading since
0: before i was a professional writer yeah yeah absolutely um goodness there is uh, hours of conversation here but uh because i am gonna have to let you disappear um if you could give my listeners um I'm going to put you on the spot here recommendations because i know that's a big thing with you and it's a big thing that i do as well recommendations for a film that they may not have necessarily ever just that isn't a mainstream um and perhaps a musical that they may not have discovered that they could go out and research
1: Oh that's a great question. Um so I just watched the movie Stage Door. It's 1937. It's got Katherine Hepburn and Ginger Rogers and Eve Arden and Lucille Ball, great cast.
0: Oh, um
1: right. it it's it's really lovely and and pretty queer um at a time when obviously nothing like that could be Expressed outright, yeah. Uh, it's a story of um, some actresses uh, in a basically a, a, a residential uh, a boarding house for for aspiring Broadway actresses, uh, and it's about the relationships that these women have with each other. And it's um, unusual for its time in that uh, there's no real love story. Uh, that the heterosexual romance of the movie sure. is. Uh, very transactional and it, it only exists because um, the the women of the of the film are only interested in men insofar as they're a meal ticket and they're you know socially needed they're, they need they need to support themselves so they have yeah. to get married. Um, but there's so much queer subtext of this film, just the way that the women look at each other and the way that they're photographed is the way that you would photograph romantic leads, uh, but they're women. And so, uh-huh. you know, it doesn't take a lot of work to see that this is, um, a story where there is a lot of same sex attraction going on just off camera, just, you know, just to the side of the, of the picture. Um, so
0: I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Stage it's, a, it's a really fun film. Stage door. Yep. Wonderful, and yep. and finally, if there was a, a musical that's hidden away in mm. your library, that perhaps you would. That's know. a great question.
1: I, you know, we talked about chess really briefly, and and I do recommend the music from chess. There have been various stagings of it. There's a version with um, Idina Menzel that's really lovely. That I think you can find oh, on YouTube. Okay. Uh, it's it's um, a deeply flawed musical that you know everybody has been trying to fix since the 1980s, and it keeps flopping. Uh, and I don't think it'll ever, I don't think it'll ever be fixed. I don't think it'll ever completely work, but the musical, the the songs are so great. And the, the story, you can see that there's a good story there trying to be told, uh, that just never manages to, to, to make its way to completion. But I really, I have a intense affection for this and, um, it's, it's just such a fun, it's such a fun show and such a meaningful and, um, uh um the 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 music of it is just so gorgeous. Uh, i I do recommend chess and go into it recognizing this is an unfinished work that will probably never be finished, but uh there's a lot of beauty to be picked up here. you just gotta you, you gotta
0: work for it, you gotta find it. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I, wh- I, I will go and do that myself now actually because i while I cook my dinner. um Matt, thank you so so much for joining me and um i look forward to hearing lots more from you in the future yeah it's a real pleasure thanks so much for having me on it was really lovely chatting with you